The Public News Service Daily Newscast for January the 13th, 2022. I'm Mike Clifford. More than a half of Missouri families report paying more than $500 a month for child care. And child care providers have been struggling to keep their doors open. Craig Stevenson with Kids Win Missouri notes that the American Rescue Plan last March allocated more than $700 million to Missouri, and the Show Me State is one of a handful that has not yet spent it. He says now, as providers continue to work through the latest surge of COVID, they need that relief. Those needs are making sure that child care providers stay in the field, whether that be through stipends or increased rates. We hope and, and anticipate to see a significant amount of resources targeted at making sure that the infant and toddler care supply for families who are working stays strong. The $700 million in federal funding includes $444 million for keeping child care providers in business, as well as $1.9 million for schools. The state budget proposal also includes funding for Medicaid expansion. After a court ruled last year, the state has to fund it after voters approved it via ballot measure. I'm Lee Bulky reporting. The program is aimed at helping providers improve themselves while also providing information to families about the quality of programs that opt in. CNN reports the House Select Committee investigating the January 6th riot is asking Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy, a California Republican, to voluntarily provide information to the panel, including details about former President Donald Trump's state of mind during the Capitol attack and in the weeks after. In the written request, Chairman Benny Thompson said we must also learn about how the president's plans for January 6th came together and all the other ways he attempted to alter the results of the election. CNN notes the letter cites several previous comments made by McCarthy following the riot, including interviews where he discussed his conversations with Trump as the violence unfolded. People with disabilities often are left out of conversations about disaster preparedness And the recent Marshall Fire put Colorado's emergency managers to the test. Curtis Garrett is the Disaster Preparedness Coordinator with Atlantis Community. He says the Disability and Disaster Hotline played a key role connecting people with emergency services, in part because state leaders included the disability community in their planning efforts. State of Colorado as a whole is really moving forward and is considered a leader in disaster preparedness and disaster services for individuals with disabilities. Garrett says when temporary shelters and other facilities are not prepared to meet the needs of all community members, people with disabilities can be separated from their neighbors and relocated to nursing homes against their will. Anyone in need of assistance can call the hotline at 800-626-4959. I'm Eric Galatis. This is PNS. Advocates for democracy reform say there's another way to hold elections that will better represent more communities. More on that from our Eric Tiganoff. Proportional representation would be a change from the way current elections are run, as winner-take-all affairs where people must win more than half of the votes. Sol Mora, with the Coalition of Communities of Color in Oregon, says people of color don't make up 50% of the electorate in most places, so they often struggle for proper representation under this system. Proportional elections, on the other hand, they're a voting system that really works to ensure that minority groups have a measure of representation in proportion portion to their share of the voters. Portland currently is in the middle of a once-in-a-decade city charter review and reconsidering its city council makeup. Advocates want the commission examining the charter to look into setting up proportional representation. Any suggested changes to the charter will go before Portland voters in November. 
Alternative forms for election are in place across the country, including in Benton County, Oregon. It uses ranked choice voting, in which voters rank candidates in their order of preference. The road to voting rights for Native Americans has been long, but advocates for indigenous people hope to build on the momentum they've seen in recent years to get more people to the polls. Native Americans were not granted U.S. citizenship until the year 1924. Keaton Sunchild is with the nonpartisan voting organization Western Native Voice in Montana. He says even as citizens, they face Jim Crow-style barriers similar to those aimed at black Americans, such as poll taxes and literacy tests, that until the Voting Rights Act of 1965. It was a slow process. There were hurdles along the way, and even now there's still barriers and whatnot. Maybe they're not as overt as they were in the beginning, but there's certainly still some challenges to getting folks to the ballot box. Sunchild says recent legislation in Montana will make voting more difficult for Native Americans. Finally, our Mike Bowen tells us this week saw a Duluth High School go on lockdown because of a threat received by authorities. The latest threat follows last month's nationwide social media scare on TikTok, as well as a deadly school shooting in Michigan. Sarah Mongus, a middle school social worker in St. Peter, says students have increasingly dealt with more anxiety over the past couple of decades, with threats of violence playing a part. She says emotional connections between staff and students are important. We've just found that if there is that connection, kids are able and willing to talk to those adults because they feel like they're cared for. Her district has conducted surveys with high school students and fifth grade students asking if they feel supported by at least one adult in their building. This is Mike Clifford for Public News Service. We are member and listener supported, heard on great radio stations, and find our trust indicators at publicnewsservice.org.